Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. All right. Hi, everybody. We are continuing our journey through the Sinai Desert here as we move our way through the Book of Numbers. And before we jump in, I want to thank those who are supporting our journey of learning here, including one new anonymous supporter of 7-Minute Torah, who joined us this week with a monthly gift to help support the ongoing production of this podcast. So as always, I want to say thank you to those who are making this possible. And if you'd like to become a supporter, you can go either to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org, and click on support, or you can go to patreon.com slash 7minutetorah, and there you can make a per-episode gift. Now, speaking of episodes... This week's Parsha contains a really challenging episode. We're reading Korach, which is Numbers chapters 16 through 18, and Korach is probably the Torah's most famous rebel. This entire book of Numbers is really the book of the people rebelling against God. We saw that last week with the incident of the spies. We saw it a couple weeks ago when Miriam and Aaron argued against or rebelled against Moses, and Korach in many ways is the rebellion par excellence. And the spoiler alert is, of course, as you probably know, it doesn't end well for Korach and his people. But here's how it starts. This is the beginning of chapter 16. It says, Vaikach Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kahat ben Levi, Vedatan vaviram b'nei Eliav, Vaon b'nei Pelet b'nei Reuven, Vayakumu lifnei Moshe. Now Korach, the son of Yitzhar, the son of Kohat, the son of Levi, which is to say a Levite, Betook himself together with Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliav, and On, the son of Pelet, who were from the tribe of Reuben, to rise up against Moses, together with 250 Israelites, chieftains of the community, chosen in the assembly, men of repute. So we have here a rebellion that is fomented not by some kind of an underclass or a group of economic discontents or anything like that, but by a group of what the Torah calls Anshei Shem, men of repute, which is to say these are leaders, these are chieftains. There are 250 of them, and they are led by a Levite named Korach. Korach and his people go on to lodge a complaint with Moses and Aaron, and what they say is this, You have gone too far, for all the community are holy, all of them, and God is in their midst. So why do you, Moses and Aaron, raise yourselves above God's congregation? Now just to telescope the rest of the parsha for those who don't know the incident, Moses then proceeds to fall on his face in humility and to say, look, let's let God decide. So he tells Korach's people to make an offering of incense in a fire pan, and Moses and Aaron do the same thing. And the Torah proceeds to tell us that God did choose by way of making the earth open up and swallow Korach and his band, and then a fire destroy them. So Moses and Aaron are very clearly chosen 
by means of this test, this incense test. And Korah and his people, well, like I said before, it doesn't end very well for them. His bid for power ends up with the earth swallowing him up. So it's a really unpleasant incident in a book that describes a fair amount of unpleasant incidents, but this one is maybe the worst in terms of the violence that ensues from it. So the question then is, what did Korach do wrong? Moses implies when he's talking back to Korach that he and his people are seeking priesthood. In verse 10, he says to them, God has advanced you, moved you and all the Levites forward. And you're also seeking the priesthood? So Moses' implication here is that Korach is after power. Korach is after the priesthood, wanting to wrest the priesthood away from Aaron. But if you look at his complaint, if you look at what Korach actually says, it's hard to see what he actually did wrong. I mean, his complaint was essentially, Moses, why are you lifting yourself up above all the people? Everybody is holy. God's entire community is holy. What did he say that was so wrong? Didn't he say the exact same thing that the Torah says elsewhere? Doesn't the Torah say that the people are holy? Doesn't the Torah say that the people have a responsibility to create holiness? Doesn't the Torah say that we're supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy people? So what's so wrong with Korach also wanting to be a priest? The rabbis see the challenge here, and they suggest that hidden in the text is actually a hint that Korach wasn't really out for the good of the entire people. He was really out for himself. And the hint to that is found in the very first word of the Parsha, Vayikach Korach. We translated this before as Korach betook himself together with these other people to rise up against Moses. And the commentators are interested in this word Vayikach, which means literally to take. And they say as follows, this is Rashi, that Korach took himself over to one side and separated himself out from the community so that he could raise his protest. So the implication here from Rashi is that Korach isn't really out for the people at all. Korach is out for himself. By taking himself, he separates himself as an individual. He shows that this is really about him, and it's really about power. It's interesting to juxtapose that against another story from Jewish tradition that's about an argument, but it's an argument that is said to be Leshem Shamayim for the sake of heaven. This is from the Talmud tractate Eruvin, page 13b, where it says that for three years, Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, which is to say the two great schools of thought in first century Judaism, disagreed over a point of Jewish law. Each of them said, Halakha Kmotenu, the Halakha agrees with us. Until finally a divine voice emerged and proclaimed, Elu Elu divrei Elohim Chayim. These and these are the words of the living God. The Halakha Kebet Hillel. And the Halakha, the Jewish law, follows Beit Hillel. Now, this text is quoted widely whenever we talk about Jewish pluralism. I mean, after all, the voice comes from heaven and it says, there can be two right opinions. These and these are both the words of the living God. But we don't always quote that last part 
where it says, the halacha kebet Hillel. The halacha is according to Beit Hillel. How can it be true that both are the words of the living God and also Hillel wins? And the Gemara, the Talmud asks the same question. Since both these and these are the words of the living God, why did Beit Hillel merit to have the halacha established like them? The answer is, because they were calm and humble. They taught their words and the words of Beit Shammai, and what's more, in a dispute, they cited the words of Beit Shammai prior to their own. So the Gemara's answer is that even though there could be two right answers, in the end the Halakha follows Hillel, not because his reasoning is better, and not necessarily because his answer is righter, per se, but because of the way that he and his school behave themselves. Because they're calm, because they're humble, because they listen to others, because they teach the opinions of Beit Shammai and actually teach them before they teach their own, which seems to mean that they're actually trying to understand what the other is arguing. They don't just cite the opinion and then debunk it. They teach it. They start with the assumption that the other side also has the best interests of the people in mind and of the community in mind, and they strive to understand what the other side really believes. So when the rabbis compare that with Korach, what they're really saying is that Korach and his people weren't standing up for the best interests of the community, despite what they said. Despite the argument of all God's people are holy, what they were really there for was to gain power for themselves. So this was not an ideologically or philosophically motivated band of people looking to improve the lives of the nation. This was a bunch of individuals who saw a bandwagon that they could jump on to gain further power. Now, is that what the original Korach story is about? Maybe. It certainly is what the rabbis see in the story, and it certainly is a lesson relevant for our lives, which I think is why the rabbis tell that particular story about Korach and his band. We live in a world where people have a hard time listening to each other. We're mostly busy trying to formulate our next argument while the other person is talking, and rarely are we actually opening our mind to hear and understand what others believe. If we did that, we'd be having a very different conversation on a political level and on a global geopolitical level and even around our own family dinner tables. So Korach is a story about the way that we do and don't listen to each other, about the ways that we have a tendency to value ourselves and our own opinions over actually learning from others. And I think that's why the Torah says that Moses was humble, that he fell down on his face. Because the beginning of learning anything starts with thinking that you actually have something to learn. Thanks for learning a little with me this week. I look forward to being back with you again next week as we move forward in the Torah. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoyed this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7minutetorah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.